Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano. This episode of the Sports Spectrum podcast with former NFL Super Bowl winning quarterback Trent Dilfer is brought to you by Compassion International. $38 a month is all it takes for you to release a child from poverty through the great work being done at Compassion International. Here's the website, Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum. Go there, check it out. You'll see a ton of kids there waiting to be released from poverty. Pray about it, talk to your family about it, and then if you feel led, select a child and you're in. It's $38 a month, and your $38 goes to providing food, education, medical care, vocational training. It's all done in Jesus' name. It's a great, great ministry. Compassion International, the most trusted child development ministry in the world. Over 1.8 million children being impacted by the great work being done at Compassion International. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum and sponsor a child today. Today's guest on the podcast is Super Bowl winning quarterback, longtime ESPN analyst Trent Dilfer. And recently, just a few days before taping this podcast, Trent took a new position and embarked on a new career as the head football coach at Lipscomb Academy in Nashville, Tennessee. And we talk quite a bit, actually, in the beginning of this podcast about the reasoning why he took this new job and went into this new adventure as a head football coach. And the story that he shares and the decision and the conversations that went around it with his wife and with his daughter Uh, with his daughters, I should say, is pretty awesome. Uh, And I just sat there listening. I mean, there was even a point where he wasn't sure if I had to interject. And I said, nope, I'm good. I'm just going to listen, tell this story, because it's a pretty powerful one. So a lot to get to here with Trent Dilfer, including that, including his thoughts on being let go by ESPN a couple years ago, April of 2017, and moving forward in that realm. And what that intersection of faith and sports look like during his time at ESPN and he's very candid and very honest about some of the struggles that he walked through with his faith during his time at ESPN and then some great stuff at the end about the Super Bowl he gives us a great story of when he actually played in the Super Bowl winning it all in 2000 with the Ravens and of course I had to ask him a little bit about Mr. Brady the GOAT Tom Brady himself and Trent better than most people I know describes perfectly why Tom Brady is the greatest quarterback of all time. Lots of great stuff here. Again, one of my favorite podcasts I think we've ever done here at Sports Spectrum. Let's get to it. Trent Dilfer, Super Bowl winning quarterback, now the head football coach at Lipscomb Academy in Nashville, Tennessee, joining us here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. Take a listen. Trent, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jace. Thanks for having me. Been looking forward to do this for for quite a while. Yeah, me too, and very excited to have you here on the show. Thanks for joining us, and a lot going on for you, especially over the last few days, just a a few days removed from being named the head football coach at Lipscomb Academy in Nashville, Tennessee. Share with us about that decision and why you made the trek into high school football uh, and being the head coach at Lipscomb Academy. Share with us what went into making that decision. (laughs) How much time do we have? It's a god. It's a it's a god sized story. Uh, I'll try to give the Reader's Digest version, but um, you know, I grew up. I always start this way. I grew up on the back of a blocking sled. 
uh, my stepfather, who was a huge influence in my life. And I had a great real father too, birth father. That was influential. But my stepfather was really the one that sparked the competitive gene in me. And uh, I grew up with a coach's son's life. I grew up in locker rooms, long bus rides, back of a blocking sled, X's and O's on whiteboards and chalkboards, uh, cutting up 16 millimeter reels of film and putting them on the washer and dryer and sitting in lawn chairs and watching them. I mean, that was that's my 10 to probably nine years old, to 14 years old experience with football. And um, it, it created this love affair that I have to this day with the game. And what I never thought it did was create a love affair with coaching. But as my journey's gone on, what I recognize, and this really started after I tore my Achilles in 2001 in Seattle and kind of knew that my career after that was going to be as a journeyman backup type player. Um, and I just started studying coaches and I started studying the game at a deeper level and getting the most from the least and the best from the best and inspiration, motivation, tactics, process, leadership, what, you know, all these terms that people throw around. I just really dove deep into it. And um, my time at ESPN was also the time that, you know, I was taking over Elite 11, which is the premier high school, what we call competition in the country. It's half camp, but a lot of it's competition. And uh, we I've made it a very holistic process where it's developing the whole player, not just the football player, um, the whole person, I should say. And what really came out of that, and this is why I'm telling that story, is maybe the best thing that ever came out of that nine years was my connection to the coaching staff that Joey Roberts and I hired over all those years. And we went out and we tried to identify a certain type of individual um, and then teach them everything that I knew and then launch them to go influence the next generation of influencers. And I don't think anything's been more rewarding uh, in my non-faith um, walk or parenting walk than that. I think it's probably been the most significant thing I've done is build into these young coaches, help launch their careers. Now we got guys coaching in the NFL, college football, running massive, massive academies around the country, training NFL college quarterbacks, it's just been the neatest thing I've done. And they're like brothers. We're on a group text thread. We talk smack like brothers. We love on each other like brothers. We support each other's families. A lot of them now are having young children. They look, at to, they look to me as a mentor in parenting. Um, it's just been awesome. Well, saying all that, I just kind of knew that that journey isn't over, but it's kind of been there, done it. And I was looking for the next significant um, purpose-driven thing in my life. Um, career kind of wasn't important to me anymore. It was more about finding uh, something that really had impact, had significance, and um, kind of fed that um, purpose gene in me uh, that I needed to feed. And that's kind of what led me to Lipscomb Academy as a high school coach and and there's a neat story that we'll get into later or maybe right now about how that actually happened. Because if you would ask me 14 days ago, I would have said, chance of me being a high school coach were less than 5%. 
14 days ago, just two weeks ago, and all of this comes together so quickly. So go ahead and share the story of, of how it actually came together. It was actually 13 days ago. I'm driving my daughter, my middle daughter's car from Austin, Texas, where I live, to Louisville, Kentucky, where she is just transferred to play volleyball, continue her volleyball career. And I was, um, I was in Arkansas, <laughs> and it was getting late at night. I was trying to get to Memphis to stop and sleep before I went to Louisville the next day. And uh, I get a call from Matthew Hasselback, uh, who everybody on this podcast knows who that is and knows our relationship. And we hadn't talked in a while, and we started talking kids and family and life and blah, blah, blah. And he goes, hey, got a really weird um, text from somebody I knew when I played in Tennessee. Um, his name's Brent high. He runs a ministry. He had me and Jake Walker, uh, and Rusty Smith come out to a, a couple events that he had. Um, and he's on this national search committee for a head coach at the Christian school that his kids go to. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. Um, I can see why you're calling me. I kind of connected in the coaching community uh, nationally with the high school coaches. I'm probably the right guy to call because I can immediately, I got three guys in, the, in my brain that I'm thinking, oh, this is perfect for them. They've been ready for this. Like this is, this is their wheelhouse. I said, hey, connect us on a text. I'll reach out to them next time I stop for gas, yada, yada, yada. Just a couple hours later, I stopped somewhere in Arkansas, to get gas. And I remember I got a Texas guy back and, I text him. I said, hey, uh, tomorrow morning, I got five minutes on my way up to Nashville. Let's talk on the phone. I got some great thoughts for you. He says, great. So leave the next morning. I call him right after the get-go, and he's like, and I start talking. You know you know me. I, you know, hi, how you doing? And then, boom, turn me on. Off I go. I got, I got this guy in Washington, D.C. I got this guy in Texas. I got this guy in California. Here's the resumes. They're unbelievable. They will crush this. Like, they will change your life. That's how good they are. And he stops me and he says, I really appreciate that, Trent, but maybe Matthew didn't properly communicate this. Uh, God has put in my heart that this is a position we want you to fill. We feel like you're the perfect person at the perfect time to um, really uh, e extend what we think God is doing at Lipscomb Academy. I'm like, oh, well, that's flattering. Um I, you know, I'm trying to be really humble about it inside. I'm like, yeah, this guy has no idea. I mean, like, there's no way I'm doing this. I got 18 projects going on. I got all these different things. Uh, the spring's my busiest time with pre-draft and, you know, I'm doing stuff for Fox and NFL network. And I got my own company with John Brankus. We're doing short form media pieces. And uh, I got a daughter in high school and blah, 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 blah. And, I said, I'll tell you what, I'm going to be in Nashville. I'm having lunch with somebody on my way to Louisville. I have a few hours. I'm going to stay with Tim and Elizabeth tonight. Um, you know, I'll hang out. We can talk this through and, and we'll go from there. He's like, great. That'd be awesome. So about one o'clock last or uh, two Wednesdays ago, I sit down with him and the headmaster at Lipscomb Academy and we start sharing vision, mission, purpose, core values, uh, all these different things. And four and a half hours later, I said, okay, it started at 0%, but you got me interested. Uh, this is exactly, if I ever were to take over a program, 
this is the support system. This is the mission that I want to be part of. However, my wife is going to say, no way. And my daughter, she's going to say, no way. Because I just moved her to Austin and she is thriving and loving it and has never been happier. They go, we understand. Let's just keep praying about this. Uh, if it happens, it happens. But just know we really want this opportunity to sit down and share with you everything. Great. So tell me, Jason, anytime you tell me, you tell me to be quiet and <laughs> we can reset. But so, so I go back. Uh, I hang out with Tim and Elizabeth that night. I go up to Louisville. I'm wrestling with everything. Uh, and my heart is really stirring. And the creative part of me. Uh, is really going, and I, I'm like, wow, I haven't felt this in all. I haven't felt this since when we really started Elite 11 and launching it big time, and I haven't felt this juice in a while. But in the back of my mind, I'm like, there's no way. I mean, there's no way I can do this to my family. I've always said, I mean, I've turned down NFL jobs, front office jobs, college jobs. I, I, I got to believe it's been 10 different NFL or college opportunities I've turned down. Because I just never, I couldn't do it with girls. If I had boys, I would have done it. Because they could have been around the locker room. They could have hung out with dad. But with girls, I just couldn't do that. And they were chasing their dreams. They're all Division One athletes and great kids. And I wanted to be, you know, I wanted to be there for proms and do homework with them. And, you know, watch all their sporting events. And when they, you know, are emotional and need to cry in the car, I wanted to be there for them. And I'm like, I can't do it. So I get back home. I kind of tell my wife just bits and pieces. I don't even tell her kind of the whole thing. I'd been communicating with her from the road, just little stuff, but never really told her this is what, I, what I'm thinking. And we agree to go on a date on Friday night. Um, so I get back Thursday. We agree to go on a date Friday night. And uh, try this new restaurant in downtown Austin. It's awesome. We're having this great night. The food's amazing. And she goes, hey, let's talk about this thing. I'm like, sure. You know, I'm really, I want to tread lightly on this. I don't want you to think that I'm pushing for it. I'm negotiating. I just think it's something God has kind of put out there and, and yada, yada, yada. And, and she, this is basically a nutshell what she says. She says, four months ago, your life really started changing. And as your life started changing, our lives started changing. And Four months ago, what happened was I really started confessing and releasing a lot of stuff to God that I'd been holding on to. A lot of ambition stuff, career stuff, um, lifestyle stuff that I really liked where I was at. I mean, I, the last 10 years of my life, I think 99.9% .9 of humans would go, oh, I want that life. Um, I pretty much could do whatever I wanted. I lived wherever I wanted. I played golf tournaments. I did some TV stuff. I, you know, could, I could do whatever I wanted, basically. I had a very luxurious life. And about four months ago, I realized, and, and God really started working my heart, that that's not what he designed me for. And I needed, to start I needed to really start releasing some stuff to him. And I did. And for the first time in my faith walk in years, I really just said, Lord, my arms are open. I will do whatever at this point. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what it is, um, but I, it's yours. And some cool stuff started happening. She, so she says, you know, I really appreciate that about you because I've been waiting for you to do that. As your wife, as your partner, I knew you were holding on to stuff. I knew you were 
even though our lives looked good on the outside, that it wasn't full on the inside. And she goes, honestly, this is the, this is the kicker. She goes, you haven't done anything great in 10 years. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I, and I went, what? And now immediately as men, and as you know, I, I've had a pretty successful post football career. I'm like, Whoa, 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 whoa. I got my checklist of all the great stuff I've done. Read 11, TV, Monday Night Football. You know, in my mind, that's what I'm saying. But my spirit said, take it. And I said, you know what? You're right. I said, you're right. Great might not be the correct word, but you're right. There's been nothing really, really significant. There's been nothing that's had massive impact um, that stretches far beyond just a small little group of people. There's been nothing that's made me wake up in the morning and the hair in my arm stands up. Um, there's been nothing where I need to get on my knees every morning and say, I can't do this without you, God. Because honestly, I could do everything just in my own power. And I took it. And she goes, you know, it's going to be really hard um, if we do this, but it's kind of what we were made to do. And you've always done great things when it's been a big climb, a great challenge. Your back's against the wall. People say you can't do it, whatever it is. And she goes back to my career and gives stories of those things. And she says, I I want you to know that not only do I want you to do it, I I think it's the exact right thing you should be doing. And if I believe that God will work in Delaney's heart, my youngest daughter, as he's worked in my heart to release you to do this. So we have this great date. I'm like, and inside I'm going, this is amazing. I have the best wife in the world, but she's crazy. There's no way my daughter is going to go for this. Uh, So now let's call we're at 50%, maybe 60. But we both agree that if Delaney says, if she hesitates at all, then we're not doing it. So Sunday, we're sitting down, we're watching football after church, and we sit her down, and, and I go, hey, you know, Delaney, I want to talk to you about something. I want to tell you a story. And she goes, yeah, Dad, what's up? And I said, uh, I'm going to tell you a story about how God has worked in your, mom's, your mom and I's life for the last 25 years. And I just started telling her how, you know, we got married really young in college. You know, nobody, everybody said it was dumb. You know, I'm the worst quarterback in <clears throat> football in 1995, and two years later, I'm in the Pro Bowl. Uh, I get, re- you know, I, I get an injury release from Tampa, and I go to Baltimore, and God does cool things, and everybody knows what happened there, and blah blah blah. And I just tell her how my life is always God has always worked the best through my life when I have challenges, when there's adversity, when there's great mountains to climb. And I'm about 80% done with this epic story I'm telling. And she goes, dad, she starts tearing up. She goes, dad, whatever you're about to ask, the answer is yes. And I, now I start crying. Everybody that knows me knows I'm a total crybaby. So I'm bawling. My wife's like, oh gosh, here it is. It's slobber fest. <laughs> my wife, my daughter and I are crying on the couch and we're not watching the football game. And, and it's like, oh gosh. And I finish the story and then I, you know, I get the punchline. And she doesn't flinch. She goes, Dad, I'll be mad at you if you don't do this. This is what you were designed to do. And we've all known it forever. Like all three of us and mom have known that this is what, but we benefited from it as your kids 
but you need to go do this with these boys. And she goes, just make me one promise. Can I be part of it? Can I know what you're doing and can I feel connected to it? Because when you're at ESPN, I never felt connected to it. I felt connected to you, but I never felt connected to your job. And I want to feel connected to this part of your journey. And let's go crush this. Mom and I will be fine. We'll figure it out. And uh, go for it, Dad. So I know that was really long, but it was really, really a neat handful of days, Wednesday through Sunday, of just watching God do incredible things in my heart and in my family's heart. Oh, I love that story. That's such a great story. Thank you for sharing that. And as a dad to a daughter, I can I can relate on some level on what that's like to have that conversation, those life-altering conversations on the next step in our journeys and that bond with our daughters. That's something that's extremely important in my life. And I can tell how important it is with you and all of your daughters to have that connection and what maturity on her part to respond like that, right? Oh, all three of them are unbelievable. I think it starts with my wife. Um, I always say this, I, people, our kids have really turned out neat and, and people tell us all the time how great they are. And we really, not just, not just the token humility, we're really humbled by it because I think the best advice I ever got was from a guy named Doug Gilcrease, who was the chaplain in Tampa when I was there. He was our mentor, um, really fed into my life a lot. And they had a boatload of kids. And when he was a young parent, he just said, you can read every book. You can do all this stuff. But the best thing I've learned is I just give my kids to the Lord and I pray over them every single day. And I pray specifically for how, how I want them to turn out and how I want them to serve the Lord. And that's probably the only good thing we've done <laughs> is we've really prayed hard for our kids and we've tried at every turn to mess them up. And we've told them that, you know, we've tried to mess you guys up multiple times just because we don't know what we're doing, but God's mercy and grace on you guys has just been something that I, I can't even begin to articulate. And I've seen it now this last couple of weeks with their maturity, with their wisdom their discernment. I mean, some of the discerning things that my oldest and middle daughter have told me um, since we've had this conversation about me moving to Nashville and coaching kids and running a program and, you know, giving back to the community. And as they're going through their athletic journeys and, you know, how, how things have happened in their life, how I could do it better. And I, it's just been, I, I seriously sit there in awe and just go, God, I don't know how this happened. Because I know that if parents are truly, I mean, if kids are a reflection of their parents, then this would not be happening because they are way, way better than us. Trent Dilfer is our guest here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. And Trent, in April of 2017, you were let go from the place that you and I both worked and gave many years to at ESPN. And I'm just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that time and share what it was like for you when you found out the news that you were no longer an employee at ESPN. Of course, playing in 14 seasons in the NFL and five different teams, you know about change. But I wonder for you, because you spent a long time at ESPN, what that was like to find out the news that you were no longer going to be working there. Yeah, it was. Um, so. One, I had, it was a great experience. I went into TV uh, the year I retired from the NFL, not really thinking it was going to be a career. It was more just, 
I got really good advice from some people that retired saying you need to find something for three to five years that fills the gap between what you're really going to do. Um, because halftime of life, and I just entered halftime a little earlier than most, is a really hard transition. And you need to have something that forces you to get up and be active and do something to be productive and have goals and yada, yada, yada. So that's all I went into TV for. I, you know, I never had to audition. I never had to go pound the pavement like most guys do. I, just, I was offered, every network offered me a job and ESPN was the best one. Um, and I had a great run. I mean, I, from, I, I met so many great, I mean, I got to do the best of the, I got called Monday night football. I got to work with Chris Berman and Tom Jackson. I got to do prime time. I got to launch the dimes brand. I got to do the best sports centers, the best locations I got to do. I mean, I had the dream TV job, um, I don't think anybody had a better job, to be honest with you, because not only did I have the premier spots at ESPN and worked with the best people and the best producers, um, but I got to do it on kind of my timing. I got to be at home Tuesday through Saturday and then work Sunday, Monday. Um, so I didn't really miss much of my kids either. And it was a great run. And when it ended... Um, for whatever reasons and people, there's different theories on why it ended, you know, the, they needed to make big cuts. Maybe I was too big of a personality. Maybe they wanted to change things over. I don't really care to be honest with you. Um, I kind of really had peace with it. Um, the financial aspect was taken care of because, you know, I was, uh, you know, my, my economic situation was incredibly good at the time and, when I got let go, I saw two full years left uh, on my contract that I got paid for. So it, I really, it was more of a, oh, well, my routines are going to be different. Oh, my, my weekly workflow is going to be different. Oh, I'm not going to see those people anymore. The Matt Garrett's of the world, the, you know, Joey's of the world, Seth, you know, all the people that I, you know, spent the last nine years, the, <laughs> of my life on weekends with, I, I wasn't going to be around. That was really the thing that got me, but it wasn't a fame thing. It wasn't like, Oh, I'm not going to be on TV anymore. And, and I didn't realize how much of that was a thing for people of the hundred people that would go with me, let go at the same time as me. I, I didn't really understand how much their identity was tied into being on TV and being recognizable and, all that stuff, I guess as an athlete, that just never was my motivation. And so it wasn't in TV either. So it really wasn't a shock that big of a shock as people thought it might be. Um, and it opened me up to do some things I really was passionate about. I really wanted to create short form content um, the way I wanted it. I was sick and tired of having debates on TV. I was sick and tired of how TV was going, sports TV was going, where if it wasn't contentious, it wasn't good. Um, I was sick and tired of dumbing it down for the lowest common denominator. And I know that sounds awful, but it's true. Um, TV has gotten to the point where if it's not stupid, then it's not digestible. And that's to me not what football is. Football is a intellectual game. It's the greatest tactical game in the world. It has tons of intangible things that only a few can articulate and I know I'm one of those guys so I wanted to go 
and John Brankus and I did this with Soul and Science. We launched a brand that creates short form content on smart stuff that talks about the science of the game and, and the intangible side of the game. And it's been highly successful. And, and I really, really enjoyed that part of it. So I guess that's the whole ESPN story. I've never once wanted to go back on camera. I've not, I have not applied for another job. I never had my agent call another network. I never tried to go get it CBS or NBC or NFL network or whoever. I never, I never, it never appealed to me to go back and sit at a desk and have arguments or talk about clickbait type topics. It just does nothing for me. I don't watch any of it. Um, I don't, I'll watch smart guys that I know, Tim Hasselbeck. Um, I'll watch him. I'll watch Kurt Warner. I'll watch a handful of other guys that I think are really, really smart and do a really good job teaching the game. I really enjoy Tony uh, calling the games. I really enjoy Troy because they teach me something each time I watch the game. Um, but I just don't really – this. I'm not trying to sound like callous either. I just don't care. Uh, it didn't It didn't float my boat the last few years doing it, and it doesn't float my boat now. And uh, the biggest thing is, and we touched on this earlier, it didn't have any nobility. And this is now I have a lot of TV guys calling me saying, hey, did you go through this? And I go, yep, because we were, we were wired as athletes to not just compete at the highest level and push ourselves to the highest level, but also to give back to our team, our tribe, our group. Like it's bigger than you when you really get it as an athlete. And what happens in TV is it's only about you. And there's an emptiness there. And I know you went through it too, but there's a real emptiness when you're on a red eye, the 13th week of the season, leaving your family. And you know, all you're going out to do is be famous because you're not really doing anything substantively. Really the goal of it is just to be famous and make more money and have more people watch you. And, hey, I got caught up in like everybody else, but at some point you sit there and you go, uh, this isn't what I was made to do. Trent, I know one of the reasons you and I bonded, certainly at ESPN, was because we had a mutual faith uh, in the Lord. But I wonder for you, because this is the intersection of sports and faith, this podcast, this brand, this ministry that we do with Sports Spectrum, how are you able to kind of intersect sports in faith, if at all, at your job during your time at ESPN? Was that difficult for you? What was that like? Very difficult. Probably the darkest nine years of my uh, faith walk. Um, and I didn't, I tried really not to let that happen, but it just happened. Um, Elite 11 filled. So I would spend the spring, summer filling the tank. And then the fall, it would just get below empty. Um, thank goodness for Mort. I would say Mort was probably the biggest um, encouragement in all those years. Chris Mortensen, just having faith talks with him. Um, Tim Hasselback, obviously, because Matthew wasn't there yet for the bulk of it. Tim was. Mark Schlereth, Merrill Hodge, while they were there. You know, leaning on guys that were walking the same walk but also struggling um so there were you obviously i mean there were encouragements but i what happened to me as i look back on it, i think what happened was i was trying to be intentional of staying faithful and and intersecting it but i was just 
I was so tired. I was fatigued. I was worn out. Um, and I found it really hard to keep that as a focus. Um, and you, you probably saw me at some dark moments. I mean, you just, I just struggled for lack of a better term. And I don't deny, I, I don't deny that. I don't try to hide it. Uh, it's not my proudest moments. Um, it was just a very, very difficult time. And thank goodness that I had, you know, after the Super Bowl, it was kind of like, okay, I just ran out of gas on the interstate and I pushed my car up a hill to get to the gas station and, you know, swipe the card and fill the tank back up. Because that's that's kind of what the spring summer was for me to, to have a full tank going into the fall, knowing that I'd be on fumes by the time I got to the Super Bowl. When you were going through that, difficult time you called it one of the darkest times of your faith was your wife a support there was she kind of recognizing that something was kind of off and maybe calling you out on some of the stuff you were going through or, or not doing or not walking or saying or, or living it out if you will as far as your faith goes did your wife call you out on that at all yeah she tried I wasn't real receptive uh she'll laugh she'll laugh when she listens to this podcast uh yeah she tried um no, it was, you know, she would also affirm I was being a great dad, you know, I was doing a lot of good things, still active in the community, still doing stuff that looked like things were good, but she knew it didn't have the depth that it once had. Um, and we had a lot of contentious encounters where she tried to call me out on my stuff and my defense mechanisms popped up, you know, like, what do you mean? I'm making millions of dollars. I'm you know, we do whatever we want. You know, we live in this, we have two homes. And, you know, I, I used all the ambition kind of success stuff to mask the lack of depth, uh, what most men do, what most of us do. I did, you know, the shallow on the outside, everything looks amazing. And she knows, because she knows me better than any human, uh, the inside, it wasn't nearly what it once was. Um, so, yeah, I mean, those are, that, that definitely was part of that nine year. It wasn't the whole nine years. I mean, there's obviously peaks and valleys, but yeah, there were some really dark times where she called me out on my junk and, and I got really defensive and kind of masked it with the, the success kind of argument. And now you get to venture into this new world of high school coaching. And I think it was Billy Graham that said a coach will impact more people in one year than the average person will in an entire lifetime and thinking about the impact that you can now make on these young men, both as football players, but as people and men of God. And now you get to kind of intersect that world of sports and faith and do a job, not just being a football coach, but doing it with an eternal impact in mind for a greater purpose. Yeah. So I preached to all my coaches. I hammered into their hearts, minds, it's the souls. And I do this all over the country. The two most important words spoken today are coach says, and again, that's stealing that from Billy Graham. Um, when coach says something in today's culture, for some, whatever reason, the, the kid listens to it far more than he listens to his parents, far more than he listens to Instagram or Twitter or, you know, the TV or whatever. Um, and I tell them all the time that what you say will be a product of how you live. And now that I'm in that, I am so humbled by it. And in this faith-based community, whether it was faith-based community or not, I don't know if that would have mattered 
now that I've gone into this because I feel an incredible burden to make sure that I'm being changed daily. I'm being renewed daily. I'm being um, focused, laser-like focused on allowing God to make sure I say the right stuff. Because again, I'll mess it up. <laughs> I will. I, I have a lot of gifts and talents in the coaching space. I can communicate. I can teach. I know football is good as anybody. I know those not bragging. That's just a reality. And with all that, I'll screw it up. I really will, uh, unless I stay faithful. And I want to be an overflow to these kids of what is going on in my life. And, and I, I really think this move had more to do with me <laughs> and God getting me and getting me somewhere that I hadn't been than it has to do with the people that will be impacted by what God's going to do through me. Uh, I already see it happening. I, I've already hired coaches I never believed in my wildest dreams I'd be able to hire. I have guys taking massive career steps backwards to come coach for me. Um, and that's not me. That that's That's God doing something in their lives saying, hey, it's not about ambition. It's about passion. It's not about success. It's about significance. And I think God's going to do something really, really cool through us, but it's going to start with what he does to us. Mm. The increase in Christ is obviously one of the uh, cornerstones of Sports Spectrum, PAO, and our ministry, John 3.30. He must increase, we must decrease. Can you just share a little bit, this is more of a generic question, but what that verse means to you, maybe it means to you something even more now than it did 5, 10, 15 years ago. Just share a little bit about what that increase means to you. Yeah, and I think that's a great question. I think most of the athletes you ask on this podcast will probably answer this similarly. It's our whole life has been about us, um, especially quarterbacks. I say this all the time that to be a successful quarterback, to a certain degree, you got to be a legend in your own mind. Um, and, you know, if you do the history of professional athletes, we're usually the biggest, baddest dude on the campus. We're usually. The, the focal point of everything that happens on our teams. We're usually the focal point of everything that happens uh, in our communities. Uh, we love as a society to heap perfume on the stars. Um, and it becomes a very narcissistic way of living. And to me, decreasing is making a conscious effort to recognize my depravity, recognize that I'm not that cool, <laughs> recognize that I really haven't accomplished that much, recognize that God is doing this for something far bigger than fame, fortune, attention. Uh, but it, you have to be very focused on consciously, not just decreasing from an intellectual level, but from a soulful level. Like, God, I'm almost embarrassed that you're heaping this on me. This is a huge responsibility. And I know the only way I can handle this is if it's more about you and less about me. But I think it's a really weird dynamic for movie stars, athletes, TV personalities, authors, um, professors, politicians, because those people, the world wants to tell you how great you are. They want to heap all this stuff on you. And it's a it's a drug. It really is a drug. Fame is a drug. And if you're not careful to say no to that drug, it can take over your life. 
Trent, as we wind down here, and I, I'm going to ask you a couple football questions just to kind of close it out, but I forgot to ask you, with the new job at Lipscomb, are you able to continue your work with Elite 11? Are you able to still do some broadcasting work here and there, some projects, or are you kind of all in with Lipscomb and being the head football coach there? No, it's been a, it's really neat how it all unfolded. I never even had to bring up those conversations. The administration, the community, the uh, the school president uh, were very supportive of them wanting me to continue the Elite 11. I'll maintain the exact same role I have for the last nine years. Um, and we have really cool things in store there. So stay tuned. Uh, it, I think it's going to grow more than it's ever grown in the, in the next three to five years. Um, and then, yeah, I want to, I really enjoy teaching football through the medium of TV. So I'm going to continue with John Brankus. We're going to continue our projects with soul and science. I just won't always be the soul guy. <laughs> it'll be our brand, but it'll be John Brankus and, you know, Kurt Warner or somebody else in a different sport kind of handling the intangible part when I'm not able to do it. Uh, and then I'm going to maintain my relationship with Fox. I have a really cool relationship with Doug Gottlieb and uh, Colin Coward and, um, you know, Jason Whitlock and guys at Fox that I think do cool programming and, and maintain kind of a Monday national voice in the football space during the fall. So I'll be doing all my Skype hits and, and live hits from my office at Lipscomb and, and uh, I'll still stay very, one of the things I want to do with these kids, I want to teach them football. One of the ways you learn football is you watch football. So we will have team bonding experiences. We watch Saturday football. We'll watch Sunday football. We'll learn from what's going on. And that'll keep me razor sharp as well um, to be able to go on camera and, and feel like I um, have insight that others may not have into what happened on Saturdays and Sundays. So I'll maintain that presence. And, and I think it's only good for the program, too. I think it'll show um, that we at Lipscomb, you know, know more football than anybody else. And <laughs> We're going to try to show that on Friday nights, and I'll try to communicate that on Mondays. A couple more questions here with Trent Dilfer on the Sports Spectrum podcast. Trent, I, I want to ask you just a couple football questions, one specifically pertaining to Tom Brady, uh, 41 years old, just five years younger than you. I mean, yeah. it's amazing to watch this guy perform at the level yep. he's performing at and still doing what he's doing well into his career, his ninth Super Bowl I want to ask you just to describe and give us your thoughts on why you think this guy has been able to do what he's been able to do for so yeah. long. Uh, just being someone that knows football the way you do and, and, and probably the best person I know that can talk about quarterbacks. Share with us what makes Tom Brady the greatest of all time. Well, there's obviously a skill set that you have to have that he has. I mean, he has great command of his mind and of the ball and of his offense. You, you have to have those three things. You have to have total command of what you're being asked to do, your offense, your mind, your thought processes, your, you know, your, your ability to handle all the different things that go on. And then the ball, you got to be able to do with the ball, what you want to do with it. And he does that as well as anybody. Those things are the obvious but I think what his, where his greatness really lies, and, and I think it takes great people to explain this. So everything I'm about to say, I've stolen from somebody that's great. <laughs> yeah. um, I, I think you have to have a certain competitive drive, a certain competitive temperament. 
um, that is very hard for most people to understand. And I always say it this way, and it kind of goes with what we just said. Imagine if you had everything you could ever dream of having. So there's a genie bottle and, and you say, okay, genie comes out and says, you have anything you want. I'll grant you any wish you have fame, fortune, great kids, beautiful wife, you know, anything you want, you can have it. And Tom has that. He has everything you could ever want in the world. And yet he says no to it on a daily basis to get 1% better. Now, I don't know what that looks like when he's 60, but at 41, this is what it looks like. When you invest every ounce of your soul and you say no to all the luxuries of life, he can get on a private jet anytime he wants and go anywhere he wants in the world. And instead, he chooses to eat vegetables and chicken and work out (laughs) eight hours a day. Yeah. And study film till three in the morning. He can Mm. do anything he wants, any time of any day. And yet he says, nope, I'm going to go watch one more cut up of Kansas City's two minute defense because I'm going to be down four on the road, backed up in cold weather and have to score a touchdown and I'm going to play my best football because of the two hours I'm getting ready to put in watching this cut up. And that's the difference. It's something that most of us, and I don't have it either. It's something that most of us, it's a, it's a gear. It's tapping into a part of your reservoir that 99.9999999999% of humans can't even comprehend. And I think that's why he's so polarizing because intuitively we go, Oh, I don't have that. And I'm jealous of it. And he has something that maybe Michael Jordan has, maybe Tiger Woods has, maybe Serena Williams has, but the list kind of stops after that. Oh, that's a great way to describe that. Let me ask you one final question here. And this could be, it doesn't have to be you playing in it because you played in the Super Bowl, obviously, and know what that's like to play in the biggest game, Super Bowl 35, and to win it, to walk and hold that Lombardi trophy. But you've also covered a lot, and you and I both have covered a lot of Super Bowls together, Super Bowl weeks leading up to games, being at the game as an analyst. What's your favorite Super Bowl story that you can share? And this might take a second to think of one that comes off the top of your head, or maybe you know it right away. But what is your favorite Super Bowl story as we close here that you can share with our listeners? We're going to two. The first one's really quick. It was the last Super Bowl I covered, uh, the Brady comeback in Atlanta. I had to be on the field post game um, for uh, primetime and sports center. So I got down on the field during the comeback um, and I'm down there and I'm in the end zone where they score the game winner. And I've never seen more joy. Even I had never experienced it. Even when we won, because we won 34 seven, I had never seen the type of unfiltered, And I could really tell you some interesting things, but unfiltered, oh my gosh, we just did it moments than what I saw from the Patriots. And now every team does it when they win. They go, oh my gosh, we did it. But theirs was, we never thought we were like, no time in that game did it look like the Patriots going to win. 
And then they win, and it was this energy, this excitement, this euphoria that I can't even, I'm not, I don't have the words, I don't have the vocabulary to describe. It's like nothing I've ever seen. But for me, we're playing in Super Bowl 35. We're in Tampa. It's the second, third series of the game. And I had played terrible the first two series. I was too, so my issue, what happened to me in the Super Bowl was I was too calm. I was so poised. I was so mellow. I was so outside of who I was because I thought I had to be something else that I was almost lethargic. And I underthrew two balls early. I overthrew a wide open touchdown on a double move. And I was just like, I had no juice. And my teammates knew me as the juice guy. It was like me, Ray, Shannon Sharp. We were the guys. We were the energy guys. And I'm sitting in the huddle at a TV timeout, and they're long in the Super Bowl. These TV, TV timeouts feel like they're 10 minutes long in the Super Bowl. And I'm just sitting out there, and I was kind of just staring off into the stands, kind of just, you know, lollygagging around. And Sam Gash, we, we substitute Sam onto the field. And he comes in the huddle, and he looks at me, dead stowed eyes, grabs my inside of my chest plate, lifts me in the ground, starts shaking me. Where are you? We need you. You have brought us here. Your energy, your ju- just start shaking me. I'm 240 pounds. And he's lifted me off the ground. And he's just shaking me like, not wake up, but we need you. Not this guy you're tr- pretending to be, but you. And boy, it clicked. And I went on to play really well from there. I threw a touchdown on that series. Um but that was just one of those moments. And I've learned a lot from it because I, you know, as I coach kids and I mentor people, I don't want them to be something they think they need to be. They need to be a better version of who they are. And as soon as you rob an athlete of kind of his competitive DNA, because you put messages in his head that they have to be this way, like everybody has to be stoic. Everybody has to be nice. Everybody has to be friendly. Everybody has to be, no, that's not how athletes are built. Sometimes you got to be you and I needed to be me. And Sam was the one that had the wisdom to kind of wake me up and show me that. And it ended up working out really well. It's a great story. Trent, as we leave and close this and thank you so much for your time. You've been generous with your time here. Can you share just any encouragement, maybe from the faith perspective, on what God's teaching you during this time of life, something that you can close us with that would be an encouragement to our listeners. Yeah. Well, he's been really showing me, not just through this, but really that opened the door for me to release some stuff four months ago was, uh, I think we were all loaded with guilt. We all have stuff inside that we don't think God really means it when he says that we're cleansed from that, that he can truly cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all the dirt, all the baggage from our history, all the horrible things we've said, horrible thoughts we've had, the way we've treated people wrong. Uh, we've all, we all have it. And I mean, Jesus sat there on that cross and told us, I'm doing this to release you from all of that. And his mercy and grace is, we cannot fathom how much he extends his mercy and grace on all of us. And it took me a long time to really just recognize that and say, I'm not going to carry this stuff around with me anymore. Um, God, I laid it at the cross. It's yours. You're big enough for it. And I want to move on free. And, uh, 
I, I feel like I'm freed up and um, I would hope everybody else um, can kind of recognize that God's big enough to free you up as well. He is Trent Dilfer, Super Bowl winning quarterback. You know, I didn't even ask you, who are you, who are you picking to win? Can you make that prediction yet or are you not ready to make it yet? So I have one of the most historic, stupid comments in the history of television <laughs> in 2014 when I said the Patriots were done. I remember. Uh, no, yeah, I mean, it, I, trust me, so does everybody on Twitter. And uh, they're right to remind me. Uh, I made a point at that moment that I would not pick against the Patriots, not to, not to, not to appease Patriot Nation, but to hedge my bet and say, if you're going you're gonna to pick 100 games, if you pick the Patriots 100 times, you're going to win 75% of those bets. That's true. And uh, <laughs> I just think, I will say this from a football XO standpoint, as great as the Rams are, I think Sean McVay will go down to one of the greatest play callers in the history of football. He's Bill Walsh-like. Um, they don't do enough offensively to create com confusion for a New England defense. Mm. Um and I think that edge, the intellectual experience edge, uh, goes to the Patriots. The one caveat to that that I wrestled with yesterday thinking about this is what is what has been the Patriots' Achilles heel forever on offense is when you have a three technique, yeah. an inside rusher on defense yep. that can ruin the game. And the Rams have the best one probably in the last 20 years in football and in um Donald. So yeah. I, it's the only one that gives me pause, but if, you know, gun to my head, I'd say Patriots. He is Trent Dilfer, Super Bowl winning quarterback, longtime ESPN analyst, and now the head football coach at Lipscomb Academy in Nashville, Tennessee. Trent, thanks for joining us here and sharing so much wisdom and so many great stories on the podcast and uh, just excited for your next journey and all that God has planned for you. Look forward to seeing you probably next month and giving you a big hug. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. All right, brother. CPAO, thank you for giving me the opportunity to this, and thanks for your friendship. So much good stuff there from former Super Bowl winning quarterback Trent Dilfer. One of my favorites here on the podcast. That was great. I mean, that was one of the best interviews we've had here on the podcast, without a doubt. And Trent is, like I said, a pro, and I'm grateful to have him as a friend, but even more grateful that he was able to come on the podcast and share some of the things that he's been working through in his life, both through his faith, but even more through post ESPN and into this new venture now as the head football coach at Lipscomb Academy in Nashville, Tennessee. I know he's going to make a tremendous impact on those young men, uh, not only just them personally, but for the kingdom and for eternity. So grateful to have Trent here on the podcast. Give him a follow over on Twitter at Dilfer's Dimes if you're not already following him. He's a great follow, certainly talking football. And now excited to see how he does as a head football coach. Dilfer's Dimes on Twitter. Let him know you heard our conversation here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Thank you for listening and also want to thank Compassion International for sponsoring this podcast. $38 a month is your chance to release a child from poverty. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum and your $38 provides food, education, medical care, and vocational training all done in Jesus' name. What a great opportunity for you to make a difference in a child's life. Go to Compassion.com slash Sports Spectrum and sponsor a child today. Thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. You can email me, Jason, at SportsSpectrum.com, and you can reach us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Sports underscore Spectrum. 
And of course, you can reach us on our website where all of our content can be found at sportspectrum.com. And also a great opportunity on the website for you to subscribe to our quarterly magazine. It's just $18. It's an amazing deal. $18 gets you our Sports Spectrum magazine. The cornerstone of this ministry was actually founded on the magazine 30 plus years ago, telling the stories on the intersection of sports and faith. Subscribe today, $18. Go to sportspectrum.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time right here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Have a great rest of your day.